What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Grind Podcast. We got Seth here again, Swerzik, uh, ballistician of Hornady Manufacturing. How you doing today, Seth? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me again. I appreciate it. Swerzik, Swerzik. I could say that a hundred times, man, and feel like I don't ever get it right. <laughs> right. That's awesome, man. Well, thanks for joining us. We had a awesome part one talking about bullet con- constructions and design, cup and core design versus monolithic design, interlock rings, polymers, tips, jacket thickness, etc. cetera, uh, hunting versus match. But this one today, we're going to talk about the impact velocity, shot placement, and bullet failure. Right. And I honestly, I thought of one thing over the Memorial Day weekend here. Uh, I don't know what I was thinking about, but it hit me. And, and one thing we didn't touch on that I just want to put out there, uh, we did not touch on the heat shield tip. And I guess it's kind of a technology that uh, we take for granted, but our ELD match and our ELDX bullets, the polymer tip we use has a much higher melt temperature than what was previously used. Um, what we found using the radar was that modern polymer hunting bullets and match bullets that the tip would reach a certain temperature if it was fired fast enough where it would start to deform and that would change the drag performance. So we, we got around that. And so I did forgot to mention that. And I was like, how could I have left that out? That's kind of, that was what made the ELDX, the ELDX. But uh, so before we get started on today's topic, I wanted to, to mention that. Yeah, no, that, that you bring up a good point there. I, I didn't think of that either. So <clears throat> essentially what you're saying is that heat shield um, cultivates it, maximum velocities. Yeah, it'll 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 handle the velocity without deforming because that was the the problem before, and, and we didn't know it was a problem. No one knew it was a problem. People thought it may have been a problem, but there's no way to test it until we got the Doppler. But we were we were able to see that the old material, when it had a good BC, if, you know, if the BC was generally over about a 0.5 on the G1 scale, so mm-hmm. not a slouch, but a good BC bullet, and you launched it north of maybe 2,500 feet per second. Uh, and the ambient temperature in the air had an effect on it as well, that the the tip would reach a certain temperature and it would maintain that temperature long enough that that polymer would start to melt. And it wouldn't just melt away, it would just get a little soft. And so the air resistance would deform it. And so all, it all comes back to consistency. They would never deform the same way twice. So you'd have slightly different drag characteristics depending on how it deformed or if it deformed. Um, and so we have the, the new heat shield tip. It, it can take a much higher heat temperature and it can make, it can take that temperature for a longer duration uh, without deforming. So that the drag from bullet to bullet with these tips is a lot better than uh, a lot of what's still used in other manufacturers bullets and uh, certainly better than what was used originally in, uh, in our, our uh, hunting bullet lineup. So what, what does the SST use? For a tip. The SST still it's not a heat uses, shield. It's not a heat shield that still uses our traditional tip. And the the thought there was a lot of the SST bullets are not impacted. Um, like I said, it's got to have a pretty good BC from the word go for it to even be a problem. Because if it has a moderate or a low BC, it's going to shed velocity so fast that it that the temperature might be achieved, but it won't sustain that temperature. Um, and we can see that on the drag curve uh, on the radar. Um, so a lot of the, almost all of the SSTs weren't affected. And in the onesie twosie applications that the bullet maybe would be affected, we have a specific bullet made to shoot at extended ranges where uh, that difference in drag becomes a problem. And the SST is not that bullet. The SST designed for a very much a traditional range uh, type hunting scenario. Um, so it, that it was three it was, to 400 yard range. Yep. Yep. Not, so we didn't put that heat shield tip on the SST and, uh, same thing with the varmint bullets, like our V max. Um, you would think, you know, a 22250 launching a 40 grainer at like 4,000 feet per second would deform the heck out of the tip. But again, because it's re it's, it's losing velocity so quickly. Um, it just doesn't, maintain a temperature hot enough to deform the tips you actually don't see any problem uh with the with the v-maxes either gotcha no that's really interesting I, I can't imagine the amount of testing as you guys brought up that bc and how you had to figure out 
uh, a way to compensate that speed with a heat shield. I mean, I'm sure there was discoveries all along the way as you brought that BC up, correct? Oh, yeah. I, I unfortunately didn't get to have a heavy hand in any of that. Uh, that was back when our senior ballast, uh, ballistic engineer was Dave Emery. Uh, that was before I joined the ballistics team. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I got to be uh, on the tail end of it. And uh, my current coworker, uh, Jaden, he was there going through that with, uh, with Dave. So I got to uh, hear about it because we were close friends before I was on the ballistics uh, department. So I got to hear a little bit of it as it was going on. And yeah, it was, uh, it was pretty wild. No, that's crazy. You know, the, the ELDX, uh, man, that, that bullet's revolutionary really. Yeah. There's a lot. There's so many things that for me, I even take for granted that, that happened that were groundbreaking. And I can't, that's goes back to the heat shield tip. I can't believe I forgot that on the first part. Cause that really was a, a huge discovery and uh uh it was yeah it's it's been groundbreaking ever since and uh yeah, we're continuing to try to push the envelope sure that's awesome so is is there a patent on that uh can I you believe, put a patent on that i'm not sure i should know that honestly but it's one of those things that that i uh yeah that i just take for granted uh, right. i can look it up real quick but uh it may or may not be i'm not sure yeah you have to shoot an email over to somebody yeah, let me see. Right on. I thought initially there was one pending, but that, yeah, we're going back. Because you, know, you think five, that competitors would uh, copy that, yeah. Right, and there might have been something existing that wasn't necessarily for stopping uh, tip deformation, but they were using similar material anyway. Gotcha. Uh, but like I said, I, I could be wrong. Um, right on. No worries. Well, is there anything else on the heat shield you want to talk about? Nope. Like I said, I just wanted to, to get that out before I forgot again. Yeah, no worries. Cool. So <clears throat> what do you want to talk about first when it comes to impact velocity? Um, well, we can go a couple different ways, but uh, I think we should, we, we touched on it on the first one, you know, quite a bit, but maybe go back over with different bullet designs and really what they were designed to operate in from a velocity standpoint, I think would be helpful if somebody jumps in and maybe didn't listen to the first one. Um, but uh, we started uh, the last conversation with monolithics just to get that out of the way. We can hit that real quick. Um, so monolithics made of one homogeneous material and uh, they've got a lot of great design attributes that make them a good bullet, but they require in most cases, 2000 feet per second, to get reliable expansion. And so the bullet's not expanding, that's not a good thing. So 2000 feet per second on the bottom end, on the top end, because there's no jacket core, you know, uh, separate features, it's all just one, you can run those things and hit as hard as you want. Usually, you know, you don't see a problem at 32, 33, 3400 feet per second in that neck of the woods. Um, so for, like we mentioned, you're pounding the timber or you've got something. I, I think you can uh, really game. drive these things hard, hit really hard, and uh, you don't have to worry about any problem with holding a bullet together at those high-end velocities. But you, conversely, you don't get that, uh, you don't get that benefit downrange because they need at least that 2,000 feet per second to expand. Uh, to go. Yep. Gotcha. So short shots, uh, Africa in the timber, brown bear. Uh, stuff at close ranges, right? Yep, that's really where they'll well, where they will shine. Um, now we get into cup and core bullets in regards to the velocity performance window. Now there's there's a lot more variables that the manufacturer gets to control to help get these things to operate. And for the most part, our SST, our interlock, um, those bullets are really reliable down into that 1800 feet per second range um and that that extends you just that much further than a monolithic bullet you know you, you get a couple hundred yards out of it where the bullet's still going to perform uh conversely they don't hold together quite as good as a mm -hmm. monolithic bullet at super high impact speed um so most of the time we you know we don't recommend them 
north of about 3,000 feet per second, depending on the bullet, mm-hmm. um, because you really can drive that expansion so fast. The lead starts flowing out so quickly that the interlock ring just can't hold on to it. Um, you can end up separating. So guys running a 28 nozzler um, with a 175. Mm-hmm. That can be uh, how fast is that? That's going to be going north of thirty one hundred feet per second, isn't it? No, oh, absolutely, yes. But depending on on what ammo they're running, DLDX uh, Precision Hunter, let's say that's the one sixty two. So the oh, that's one sixty two. Okay, yeah. Unfortunately, they put uh, a moderate speed twist in the twenty eight nozzle Sammy spec uh, twist rate. I believe is one in nine, and that's not enough to reliably stabilize our one seventy five. So the one one sixty two. Uh, is definitely uh, is slinging out of the 28 nozzler, um, yeah, in excess of 3,100 feet per second. And that bullet, because there's a little more mass there, you know, if it was lighter, like a 150 or something, mm-hmm. you'd turn that bullet inside out really quickly. Anything sub, you know, 100 or 200 yards. Okay, um, so you probably wouldn't recommend the 175X custom loaded out of the 28 nozzler. Mm, depends on the twist rate and a lot of that i mean this maybe isn't the topic for this podcast but a lot of that is situation dependent because bullet stability uh, has a lot to do with twist rate the lion's share of bullets yeah, stability will be the twist rate but higher the twist rate the faster the bullet right yeah the, the faster rpm of the bullet right so the 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 like i said the lion's share is created by the twist rate but it also is affected by muzzle velocity, so high speed generally helps, and it's also affected by barometric pressure. Um, so being, you know, at altitude uh, is is really beneficial. Um, there's the air is just literally not quite as heavy up there, mm-hmm. and uh, so in in cases like you know you live in Utah and you're shooting a nine twist with 175, you're probably okay. If you live in Alaska at sea level, you know, and it's really cold probably not uh not, not ideal. the best place yet because it's it's really dense air you're really close to sea level so you've got literally more air on top of you and uh yeah not the best so it's just kind of marginal um so certain people can do it in certain places but uh yeah like i said to get off on the on the tangent yeah the nine twist kind of limited that cartridge a little bit gotcha but and I've honestly I've seen some YouTube videos in my recreational hunting uh, addiction of of watching YouTube videos. I've seen instances where someone running a 28 nozzler with a 180 grain bullet actually opted to move further away uh, from an animal because that they're running so fast with that bullet that they wanted to make sure that the bullet wasn't uh, wasn't going to blow up, if you will. And, gotcha. Uh, not a good situation to be in you know what we should always strive to get closer and if you have to make the decision to get further away because you're running something so hard and fast uh might be time to reconsider what you're running <laughs> yeah not trying to judge anyone here but yeah yeah like i said it's just my it's my opinion no i know i guess what you're saying that's i mean take the bullet down and take your speed down uh go to the 162 you, you could or twist. you could yeah, or like I said, it's all situation dependent, and there's no hundred percent right answer. So yeah, that's the that's the caveat there. You can do everything right, and you're still wrong. Yeah, absolutely. And and to piggyback on top of that, I mean, I've successfully taken some very long shots, and I'm comfortable doing that. But at the same time, I'm always trying to get as close as I can. Absolutely, and I've yeah, got no shame in getting close. No, I much prefer it. I've yeah, I've I've made bad shots a lot closer, and I've made some really good shots at further away. It's just yeah, there's a lot of variables at play. Yeah, you you made a really good point there. You know, um, we've all we've all made marginal shots, or we've missed by an inch back, or an inch, uh, or a few inches back, or even an inch high. And I've heard guys say, you know, oh, you need to get closer this long range, blah, 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 blah. It's like, mm. man, you can make a bad shot at close distance too. Yes, you can. You can pick the wrong bullet. You could pick the, you know, he could have the wrong tool for the job out of the gate and set yourself up for failure regardless of distance. So yeah, it's easy to cast, cast your opinion, especially on the interwebs. But uh, <laughs> yeah, you don't know how many 
hours went into training the 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 right. setup the weapon system uh it's yeah exactly you, or or how much know. somebody shoots or how well versed they are how educated they are i mean we look at something oh, yeah. we we look at something for a second and then we cast a judgment which um you know it's not always not the right do, thing to do yeah Especially in today's society, uh, where you, you get inundated with so much stuff all the time, not not hunting specifically. There's just stuff, and you can you see it instantly on Instagram and Facebook, and it's right there. So you're exposed to a lot more of it, and you can cast your opinion to a lot larger audience really quickly. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. But uh, to get back on topic, uh, the the top end on our cup and core bullets. Um, varies by bullet but our interlock and our eldx will typically have a little bit higher end you can shoot them a little faster than say our sst and when you say interlock you mean match right no our interlock is it's we have a bullet line called interlock and it's our very traditional exposed lead tip bullets they're not cool and sexy looking they're just the you know the old standby Mm -hmm. Um, because the match actually doesn't have the interlock no, no, no interlock on the oh, match. That's just okay, a, a yeah. relatively thin jacket. I had but to correct the myself there. The interlock and the ELDX, they have a little bit thicker jacket than our SST does to so be able to shoot them a little bit faster. And uh, the bottom end, though, no other bullet in our lineup uh, that, that's designed for expansion has a lower window than our ELDX. And our ELDX bullet, um, where the SST and our interlock generally fizzle out around 1,800 feet per second. The interlock uh, in our initial testing and, and still the stuff we shoot today just for expansion, uh, we'll get reliable expansion depending on bullet weight, usually around 1,600 feet per second. And that's, that is low. That's a, and with our you know, really efficient designs, uh, that's typically a pretty darn long ways away when you get down to 1,600 feet per second. Right. So yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah, you can't ask a whole lot more out of a bullet, you know. If, so if you wanted that impact velocity minimum to be 1,400 feet per second, you'd have to do something to soften it up or thin it out, which mm-hmm. would affect its high-end performance. So, you know, like I said earlier, there's no perfect, you know, there's no 100% way to do everything. And in this case, we had to find the trade-off in, in 3,000 to 1,600 feet per second. That's a pretty big window of performance. Oh, yeah. Oh, and yeah. And you can't, can't get a whole lot more than that. So I know that's kind of a boring topic, just talking numbers that aren't necessarily hard values, but that's generally what we see for impact speeds. Um, but now that we, we've kind of established that, I think we can talk about maybe a little bit on cartridge selection, Um and uh, you had a YouTube video that just went live, the the Mexican hunt, and uh, we can tie that in here too because I just watched that video. What's a couple stud bucks, man? Hey, thanks, dude. That Those was right. Were, yeah, that's my that, third trip to Mexico, and that was my first successful trip there. Wow. Yeah, I think uh, you mentioned it in the video. I think some people have this notion that you're going to contract, uh, you know, a guide service, so you're going to go out and and you know smoke a stud on the first morning it's like these are wild animals in a wild place and uh yeah three times to get to get uh to get a buck down that's that's a grind oh man oh man it was it was wearing on me mentally Uh, second to last day i'm like man what are you going to learn your lesson about mexico eric (laughs) right you know like why why do you keep doing this yeah maybe go north and try canada yeah (laughs) right i love that place too for mule deer but Yeah. yeah But that was a grind, and, and those of us that have had our butts handed to us for, you know, even a week, not let alone three trips, you know, when you got five days, the money and the time invested, and you're doing everything you know how to do to turn up animals, and then they're just not there. That's, that's a struggle, but if you keep grinding, that's, that's what happens is it pays off. At oh, some man, point. it's all about the grind, but guess what? It makes it so much more worth it when you're, when you're successful. When you oh, know yeah. that you put in that work and you know you worked your guts out. Yeah, I can you know imagine. What I mean? it's, it, it is just rewarding, and that's with, with most things in life. But So where I was going with that was we have a really good example in uh, 6.5 Creedmoor versus a uh, 6.5 PRC. And I'm just going to use those two cartridges as an example because uh, the 6.5 Creedmoor, I mean, that thing – 
when it was released in 2007 uh, by us, that that was not that it fell on deaf ears, mm-hmm. but uh, it it wasn't wildly accepted, and and everybody ran out to buy one, and every gun manufacturer you know built one or anything like that. It was just it was it was a cartridge and and okay, but in the last five, six, seven years, man, has that cartridge blown up. So I'm going to use that one because most people are familiar with, with that one. Right. Okay. Uh, and so the, the six, five Creedmoor with our 143 grain ELDX, that's one of our biggest selling options. Uh, and it's, it is a fine option. It's going to launch that 143 ELDX at a muzzle velocity of 2,700 feet per second. So what uh, twist rate and what barrel? length so that's a 24 inch barrel with an eight twist okay standard sammy stuff so the the precision hunter load in the 65 prc it's going to launch that thing in a 24 inch barrel at 2960 out of a 26 inch barrel you're looking at 3000 feet per second so just a tremendous uh speed difference now where i'm going with that is we talked about uh minimum impact speeds to get reliable expansion because a bullet that's not expanding is isn't is a uh, a problem and you, you can't have that so just in in this little example alone just by opting for a 6.5 prc you're picking up you know 250 to 300 feet per second more and that's going to gain you several hundred yards of bullet performance past a 6.5 creed right. which is in its own right an outstanding hunting cartridge I can run some numbers real quick if you'd like and, and actually put a number on it uh, just to, just so you can, see, like I said, see the difference. Yeah, no, that would be interesting. All right. So I'm going to go just a standard atmosphere, just uh, what we use, the uh, ICAO standard atmosphere, which is uh, zero feet above sea level, 59 degrees Fahrenheit, and 29.92 inches of mercury. So this is pretty much a worst case, if mm-hmm. you will. Uh, cause most people don't hunt ever in a situation you know, like that. If we go maximum range, we'll just set it to a thousand. So if we're looking for minimum impact speed of 1600 feet per second out of the Creedmoor, that is going to be about 800 yards in that scenario. So that's about, so recap here for those listening. Mm-hmm. So that's about your max range for the to be effective with the Creedmoor, right now. Eight hundred, uh, eight hundred yards, and that would be in an absolute perfect scenario because uh, at twenty seven hundred feet per second with a ten mile an hour wind, you're going to be four point nine minutes, basically five minutes of wind, which that's a that's a lot of wind out there, and. Uh, wind wind is going to be the limiting factor Uh, you're also not impacting with a ton of energy which is not the end all be all you're down to about 850 foot pounds of energy Mm -hmm. Uh, but you still got 1600 and some change uh, of of velocity left Um, so that's at 800 yards so if we change the muzzle velocity from 2700 to 3000 feet per second to go with the 6.5 prc now at a thousand yards, you have sixteen hundred and thirty-three feet per second left. So plenty. So you've you just stretched your your distance. If you were talking absolute maximum distance out, you've stretched it out to to sixteen or excuse me, a thousand yards. And then on top of that, if you look at the four hundred yard, uh, or excuse me, the eight hundred yard wind, the Creedmoor had five minutes of wind 4.9 and some change so five minutes of wind now we're at 3.9 inches or excuse me 3.9 minutes of wind so less wind to account for a full minute yeah, yeah. so i mean that's, which is how many inches at that uh would be just over eight almost nine inches yeah okay so that's that's a gut shot deer or a perfectly placed shot you know when you're talking that much distance right and at, at 800 yards, you've got nearly 1,900 feet per second and over 1,100 foot-pounds of energy at 800 yards with the PRC. So that's another, just that, that example between those two cartridges that if you're choosing the same bullet 
and you're trying to do the best you can do to, to be confident at any range when you're, when you're hunting, um, just by going from one cartridge to the other with the same bullet, you've really opened up a, a whole new window where, you know, one cartridge is going to run out of snot, but the next one takes that same bullet. And now, uh, like we mentioned in the first podcast, it, it buys you some insurance for your error budget. Um, right. You know, it's, 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 it's all about that budget error. Yeah. It's, it's faster. It's a little flatter. It's going to have less wind drift and it's going to extend your range. And we, you know, we try to do things so ethically and so perfect. And this seems, uh, uh, I don't know how I want to say this diplomatically. It seems wrong to say this, but I'm going to say it anyway, but it, it allows you to mess up more and still be successful because we're, mm-hmm. when, when you put the screws to somebody and there's adrenaline and maybe you just sprinted 400 yards to side hill across the mountain to get a shot. Um, and you know, maybe you're off on your wind reading or maybe there's a wind gradient cause you're shooting over a Valley. Um, right. Maybe you have a crosswind you didn't account for or know about. Right. You have to, you have to get that air budget as big as you can. Not that we want to mess up. We're going to do everything we can to not, but we're going to at some point. And this allows you to, to just mess up a little bit more and still be effective. Right. So, so guys, those of you listening, I mean, he, he just painted the perfect picture of how you might screw up or um, be faced with challenges in the field that you won't be at the shooting range side hilling for 400 yards, sprinting, trying to hurry and get down and lay prone, get your bipod kicked out, and then get that animal just as he's headed up out of range or into the trees or whatever. I mean, you have that adrenaline, you have that stress, that inherent stress. I mean, there's a lot more opportunities to screw up. There is, yeah, and there's so much that goes on you know, chemically inside your body when you're put in that situation and you get the auditory exclusion and you get tunnel vision in a lot of cases anyway. And so you might not hear the wind uh, or you might not feel the wind brush against the side of your face or the back of your head when before it was coming the other direction. So there's little subtleties that you might not be in tuned with uh, at that moment of truth. So we just by going a little bit faster, not saying speed is the end all, because it's certainly not. You need a cartridge that recoils so that you can shoot it well. You know, a lot of guys right. shoot a 300 wind mag and can't, couldn't shoot their way out of a paper bag with it because they flinch and whatever. Yeah. So, you know, if you go with the big magnum, there's some trade off with that. But but if you can get just a little faster and just a little flatter within, you know, some some parameters here, it can help you in a lot of ways. Right. No, absolutely. And that's where that budget error comes in. It's like you have those real life, real world situations in the field. And how did you put it? It it allows you to screw up more and still be successful. Yep. And I know that's an archaic way of saying it. And it, it maybe sounds a little more negative than it than it should. But from just a, a knuckle dragger like me, that that's the way I I've compartmentalized it in my head is I'm I've trained so hard to do so much. I just, I, you know, I, I want to be successful, but I know from doing a lot of training, I know that I'm, I'm, uh, I'm flawed like everyone else. And so I want to be able to have a hundred percent confidence that, that I've did everything I can do. And, uh, and in this case, or in this specific example, you know, just by opting for a little bit faster cartridge, that's not screaming, you know, it's not a super hot rod doing 26 nozzler speeds, you know, it's right. not going to win the fastest trip down the drag strip, but it's, it's buying me a little bit more into that error budget. And, uh, and, and like I said, that bullet can go all the way down to 1600 feet per second. If the case, you know, if that situation called for it and likewise, I could shoot one behind the shoulder at 50 yards and, I can confidently know that that bullet's going to perform as well. So, uh, yeah, that's kind of, I just wanted to paint that picture as good as I could that, that velocity is very, very much tied to bullet performance. And, uh, there are bullets that work better at different velocities. Right. Okay, guys, I want to introduce you to a brand new company in goat knives, goat knives engineered a phenomenal knife, that's 1.4 ounces and incorporates an Allen key set that should your bow uh, sight or rest or scope rings fill, you can actually take the 
the key, put it in the end of the handle and tighten up your gear. So it also incorporates a razor sharp blade, a replaceable blade system. And again, it's 1.4 ounces. So be sure to check out the Capra Hunter TI by Goat Knives and get yourself one. So circling back to this, to the Creed one and the PRC, um, I could see some guys listen to this podcast and say, why would I ever get the Creed more? <laughs> sure. Like, like, how come people are even still buying the Creedmoor once the PRC was right. invented? And at the yeah, same time, I could see other guys saying, I'll never shoot over three, 400 yards. Creedmoor is perfect. Yeah. And, and Creedmoor is, uh, it's great. There are trade-offs. I, I mentioned earlier, but not specifically, but I did say that there are trade-offs going to a Magnum and recoil is one of them. Barrel life is another. PRC is going to be a lot harder on a barrel. Uh, right in that in the throat mainly to so shoot your barrel out a little quicker um it's harder to shoot just from from the recoil standpoint um and the creedmoor for what it is yeah i mean five six hundred yards there's a lot of animals that are killed between zero and five or zero and six hundred yards and in most scenarios for me personally so this is uh only is not worth very much, but in, in my personal situations, I've, I've, uh, taken some animals between 600 yards and in, and for, I've never been in a scenario where a shot was, was even possible further than that. So for me, a Creedmoor is, is certainly fine. I, I mm-hmm. do, I've hunted with both the PRC and the Creedmoor, but, uh, uh, there are, like you said, there's a lot of guys that, yeah, three, 400 yards, 500 yards, Creedmoor is fine with me. Um, and it's a lot cheaper to get into, you know, uh, there's a Creedmoor in every conceivable rifle fashion right now. You know, if you want to spend $300, get a Creedmoor. You want to spend $10,000, you can get a Creedmoor. Right. Um, so there's, it, it really fits a lot of different people. So I'm sure that aids to its popularity, but yeah, and a lot of guys, a lot of the, the everymans, if you will, you know, I throw myself in that group. A lot of the everymans, I like to have a precision rifle. I like to build precision rifles. And I like to shoot them. Um, so for me, I want my rifle to be kind of dual purpose. I, I'm definitely going to take it hunting, but I also want to go bang some steel. Um, right. I want to use it for, for plinking and, and target shooting. And, and I want to practice as much as I can. So the barrel life, you know, kind of plays into that a little bit as well. So you're taking the Creed more of the PRC is what you're saying. I, I have uh, this just last year. Uh, I'm getting spooled up. I, I have the ability to swap barrels. Like a lot of people change clothes with the system that I run. Right. Uh, And you live in the world. I mean, yeah, that's true. Yeah. So I can have the same action and the same stock and the same scope and put a Creedmoor barrel on it and do 95% of my shooting. And then I can put a 22 inch carbon six, five PRC barrel, swap my bolt head onto the same stock, the same scope, same action. Right run that so that's that's yeah that's a benefit if uh if, if anybody listening wants to get deeply invested in the world of precision rifles and their counterparts okay with spending money but uh uh yeah i i do opt for the creedmoor in a lot of cases i, I really do prc like i said it, it it is nice because it is so fast and and flat and really bucks the winds super well because of the speed and uh i'll probably hunt with the prc more now that I have that barrel, mm-hmm. but beforehand I had no qualms going hunting with the Creedmoor. PRC all day long over the Creedmoor. Yeah. For it, me, it, it, I want it, well, that extra speed. I want that extra energy and I want to see that animal fall. Absolutely. Yep. And I, that's going to brush onto my, what I wanted to bring up was, uh, was, was energy. And I wanted to touch on that a little bit, but yeah, I, I agree. And one, quick caveat to what we were talking about before like uh, i was talking about shooting the creedmoor over the prc i'm a big proponent of this uh, i'm a big proponent of practicing with an inferior cartridge uh so that when you get the you know the super sleek sexy ones that it's like you know it's 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 the easiest thing you've done uh shooting competitively in the prs uh, nrl type world um I often practice with the 223 or a 308 Winchester. With the 308, there's more recoil and it's slow and the trajectory is horrible and it, it, it flies, you know, horribly in the wind. Uh, but I get good with that 
And then when I practice with my match setup, I'm just that much better. I'm that much better at calling the wind. You still need to practice with your, you know, your, your game time setup. So you're familiar with it and you understand how that works. But uh, yeah, I'm a big proponent of practicing with something that may not be as sleek and sexy as what you hunt with right. uh, or what you compete with. So that when you do get on your match rifle or you do get on your, your hunting setup, that it's, it's way easier, you know, cause you've had to be so good at calling the wind uh, and knowing your drop and, and getting a good range and getting a good shooting position and executing the fundamentals that when you get on your, your sexy setup, it's, it's easy peasy. Yeah, no, you bring up a good point. Practice harder. Yeah, absolutely. But to go back to, to the next course that I was going to take was, was energy. Like you said, with the PRC, you want the, the added speed, you want the energy, you want to, you want to see that animal go down. You want to have that bigger error budget. And I, I get this a lot from a lot of people that I talk to, uh, that trade shows and, and other places that they get kind of fixated on energy. They, they want to know how much energy am I going to have here or there? Or how much energy did it hit with? And energy is important. And, you know, you, you do need energy, obviously, but uh, I wanted to bring up and, and kind of point out that that energy alone really means nothing, if you will, because it's just a byproduct of velocity to, to get how many foot pounds of energy you take velocity squared, and then you multiply it by the bullet weight in grains and you divide that by 450, 400,000. 450 400 excuse me uh, and that'll give you the foot pounds of energy okay so, you, so say you, that one more time so it's velocity squared velocity squared times the bullet weight in grain times in the grains. bullet weight and grain no in grains so oh, if the bullet's bullet weight in grains okay yep. and then you divide that by 450 400 450 400 yep 450, 450 or 400 no 450 450,400 oh, okay gotcha so i 450 four zero zero gotcha and that'll give you your foot pounds uh-huh. and so energy is just the the end result of having velocity and so for energy to be applicable to be useful you have to have a, a, a method to transfer the energy to the animal right mm-hmm. so the energy that's not transferred is is going to be wasted right uh, not all of it but you know much of it and so you can probably do this a couple, there's probably more ways, but the two that I'm going to say are you can have a big flat bullet, like a big flat point bullet. You know what I'm saying? Just increase the me plat diameter mm-hmm. so that you have this huge surface area to transfer the energy, or you can make the bullet change shape. And if the bullet's going to change shape and deform and mushroom, that's a super efficient and effective way to, uh, to transfer energy into an animal. So uh, my, my whole point of bringing that up was that don't get fixated on shooting a cartridge that just has, you know, impressive velocity to get energy because you think energy's, uh, you know, the, the chief most important thing. I would say that getting a bullet that expands, putting it where it counts, and then having the velocity to expand the bullet uh, would probably take a step above just the raw energy number. That gotcha. Makes sense. So in other words, you've got to look at the science behind the bullet itself, not just the speed of the bullet and the, with the caliber. Absolutely. Yep. That's, I think, uh, uh, I've heard a lot of conversations and, and YouTube videos and stuff and, and podcasts about people discussing cartridge selection for elk or deer or what have mm-hmm. you. And, I think one thing that is generally missed in that conversation is that this is assuming that you are shooting a bullet that expands right? and you are shooting it in a velocity window where it's designed to operate. And, and that might be implied, but I've not heard it spoken about specifically. And I wanted to, to get that out there. Cause there's, yeah, you shoot a, a GMX bullet, like our monolithic bullet out of a six, five PRC at, you know, well, you know, really far north of 3000 feet per second. If you're shooting like our 120 or right at 3000 feet per second, or maybe a little more, if you're shooting our 140 grain GMX with that 140, you're going to have more energy. But if you shoot that animal, uh, you know, maybe behind the shoulder or something right around that 2000 feet per second mark, you've got a lot of energy, but if it's not expanding to, to give that energy 
to the animal, uh, you know, you'd be better off shooting a six, five Creedmoor with an ELDX or an SST or something that is going to expand and it's going to rid itself of the energy by displacing tissue inside the animal. Um, so bullet expansion is key. Uh, and we mentioned it in the, in the first one, but shot placement is always number one, but, uh, bullet expansion is super important and energy alone uh, is just a number. We got to have velocity to make the bullet work and uh, got to have a bullet that works. And, and energy is just a byproduct of velocity. Yep. Gotcha. Yep. You, yep, you can't, if, if velocity was zero, energy zero, and obviously energy zero, if velocity zero, so it works both ways. But like I said, you, you, you have to have velocity to get energy and uh, energy is not what, is not what makes the bullet work. Velocity is what makes the bullet work. Velocities. Yep. Velocity is what makes the bullet work. So GMX, uh, 6.5 Creed, uh, 6.5 PRC GMX bullet. A good scenario for that would be whitetail hunter hunting gun season on a flu oh, yeah. plot where he's going to be shooting two, 300 yards max. Yep. Yeah. A lot of elk hunters really love it. I know we mentioned previous, we talked about it in the first one, but African hunters swear by monolithic bullets and for good reason. A lot of bear hunters as well. Um, big brown bears, uh, you, you know, a rugged bullet just makes you feel better about life, I suppose. Right. Having not hunted brown bear, I don't know, but I can, I would confidently say I have no problems shooting a, a, a GMX. But right. yeah, food plot's a good example. Anytime where, uh, you know, you're hunting in thick vegetation, even if you do get a two, three or 400 yard shot or something in that window with the GMX bullet, because it most of the time gives you an exit hole, even if you can see that animal at 400 yards, you make a good shot and he, the, the cover's so thick around him, generally with a, a, a hole out of both sides, you get a little more blood uh, for you to track through, you know, uh, very, very dense woods. Right. Yeah, that's, are you still there? Yeah, I'm here. Yeah, that's what I tell a lot of people. I'm like, dude, know the bullet. The X isn't going to bleed a lot, but it is going to destroy, destroy the animal. It's not destroy the animal in, the ter in terms of it's going to ruin your meat. It's going to just believe that bullet's going to work and the animal's hurt, not going anywhere. Yep, absolutely. That's what Where I tell I people about the X. I mentioned your, your Mexican hunt in here. You were shooting the 300 Wisdom which is an awesome cartridge, especially right. for, for, for big game. Cause it really efficiently launches those, those heavier bullets, um, does it in a nice little short compact cartridge. So got, got no qualms with the uh, 300 wisdom, but, uh, that compared to 308 Winchester 30 six, it's going to shoot the same bullets. It's just doing it faster. It's just taking that air budget and making it a little bigger compared to a 308 or compared to a not six. And it's got that increased velocity, which as a byproduct does increase the energy. And like you said, where it destroys the animal, figuratively speaking, internally, uh, when you increase the velocity, it's going to essentially increase the hydraulic power of an expanding bullet. It's going to increase, uh, and this is not super scientific. It's just more anecdotal. The, the hydraulic power of a bullet saying it's going to displace tissue because you have the higher speed and you have a bullet that expands even, you know, in that less than perfect shots type scenario, or even in a perfect shot scenario, right. it's, it's hydraulically and hydrostatically, maybe more effectively hydro meaning water and static. Um, it's displacing tissue. It's displacing fluid. So even if you don't, hit the heart or hit the lungs or, or, or hit something, you know, hit close to the central nervous system up by the spine in that neck of the woods, it's displacing tissue because it's expanding because you have that higher speed. Um, and yeah, it, it wrecks things internally. It really does. Yeah. And you, the animal screwed. <laughs> That's what I say. Yeah. It's like back, uh, referencing that Mexican hunt again and, uh, touching on budget error. I mean, I missed that first shot just a bit. I thought it was low, but it turns out I was just a little bit high. That buck turns his head. And when you realize you miss on a buck of a lifetime that you've waited three hours to come into a, an opening for, and you finally have the opportunity and you miss, look what happens to your stress level. 
Oh yeah. my gosh. And adrenaline. Yeah. If, if you, you weren't talk wigging about... out then, you're wigging out now. <laughs> right. Right. And then, you know, that second shot, I shot low and a little bit back of the last rib. So not, not an ideal shot. Um, yep. But not a horrible mm-hmm. shot. But I was going to say, he sure didn't, didn't seem to go far. It sounded I, like. I bet you he went 60 yards and bedded up. Yep. You and know, because his insides were wrecked. Yeah, he was, he was wrecked. And having the confidence of knowing what that bullet can do in that type of scenario, I, I don't think I had any wind that I didn't account for. I mean, I just, the stress of the situation, that's where the bullet, that's where I placed the bullet. Yep. And Shooting with, position, I mean, not handling that weapon, a bigger recoiling cartridge, probably in a lighter firearm. Sometimes that can wreak havoc when you, you know, you're on the side of a mountain trying to get set up and recoil management can, can cause some, some errors as well. Absolutely. And I was in, I was, my body was twisted and contorted. Uh, I'd been carving out a spot to shoot um, branches, clearing trees, cactuses, and kicking out dirt spots because they're, dirt spots because there were so many sharp rocks. I mean, it was very, very uncomfortable and just sitting down behind the gun for that long waiting for, I want to call it one in a million opportunity for that buck to come back through that opening. I mean, I I can't believe it happened. Yeah. And and then to miss and then make the shot on the second shot. Yep. I mean, it, it was crazy that it just happened like that. That video and that specific uh, animal that really paints the picture of of a, a modern rifleman who who can be proficient at at most would say an ungodly range, right? I mean that 845 yards is a poke in the best scenario, but that animal came out this is the last day. He came out in a window that was like six foot wide, right? Um, and you were prepared uh, for that instance, and if you weren't. You know, that's, that's, wow, that's a huge deer. There he is over there. And then you go home the next day. And so the difference between being successful and not was right cartridge, right bullet training, uh, et cetera. I mean, it, 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 that's full circle. And that's a, a kind of a perfect picture for why uh, we do what we do. Absolutely. And then executing it and then saying to the guide, oh, you know, you go on from one side, you go on the other. Let's try to, I'm like, me? Having the experience with the bullet, having the experience experience hunting that I have, and being able to confidently say to that guy, hey, listen, he got hit with an ELDX. The animal's screwed. He's not gonna die as quickly as I would want. And that, you know, but I did my best to be able to put that animal down in a humane and efficient manner. What happened happened. Let's just give him a few hours. He's not going anywhere. Let's not bump him because then the meat goes to waste. We'll never find him. You know, let's just cool it. Let's wait here three, four, five hours. Then we can go in. And I promise you, he'll be right there. So what do we do? We hike back up the ridge, um, back up a plateau that's behind us, another 1,000 yards, got, got a little higher, and we located some antler, and we could just see the top of his snout and his head. And this was about two hours before we actually found him. He was only probably 60, 70, 80 yards. It's hard to tell at that distance, but sure. um, from, from where I hit him, and he was head bobbing. You know, he was, he was um, taking his last breath. So what do we do? We go down yep. there, and sure enough, he, he, was, he was pretty much expired. And, um, yeah, that was that. That's, but we made that's the right great. decision not pushing him because knowing where he'd been hit, right, and that's, that's one of the advantages of video. Ten years ago, when oh, you didn't yeah, have a phone scope and a it. cell phone, what would you have done? You would have went rushing in there, and you would have busted him out. You never would have found him. Yeah, they can run a long way when they want to. Yeah, oh, man. They, they, their will to live is that. I mean, I would say it's close to an elk, mule deer, you know? And, yep. um, you know, ten years ago, you don't. You can't make that shot. You can't shoot that far. You don't have the X bullet, and you don't have a cell phone and a phone scope. It's just, it's just yeah. crazy what it took to put an animal of that caliber on the ground, and we've come a long way. Yeah. What elevation was that up there, or down there, rather? Um, Offhand? I don't, I don't know, to be honest. I used a SIG 2400 ABS, so it's all calculated in there, but yep. um, I'm not sure. 
I was going to say, even at, at worst case, I mean, that thing still had to impact with 1700 feet per second of velocity, which is well within what we, what we've designed that bullet to perform. in. so that, yeah, that bullet would have expanded and, and transferred that energy up into the vitals. Uh, yeah, glad that, glad that worked out and, and just a, a true stud. That's a buck of a lifetime for, for, for any hunter to be proud of. Yeah. Oh yeah, man. It, it was awesome. I couldn't believe it. Couldn't believe it. Yeah. Be to... did, that, did that bullet exit? Uh, no, Nope. Right there on the opposite side. Yeah. That's one thing with, with extended ranges when it starts to, there's a, you know, kind of a gray area where it's going to bleed off so much velocity, the bullet that when it hits and it retains so much mass that sometimes it will exit. And then as you get even extended further than that, it'll, slow down enough that it'll end up balled up on the other side but there's a lot of things that that dictate that hey guys also be sure to check out one of my personal favorites in the traverse bino harness 2.0 in my mind it is the most complete bino harness in the industry it features a handgun holder in the bottom of the bino harness if you're not interested in holding your handgun there you can put your cell phone or other things it also comes with an improved fit over the 1.0 fits better it's quieter it's more put together and more comfortable. Uh, be sure to check out the Traverse Bino Harness 2.0, also available in Multicam now, along with Coyote Brown and Ranger Green. So as you've noticed, the Bino Harness doesn't stay in stock for long. So be sure to head to muleyfreak.com, check out the Traverse Bino Harness, and change the way you hunt. We can jump now if we, if we can to more specifically, again, we touched on a lot of this stuff in the first one, but specifically about bullet failure. I think that's something, uh, an important aspect of, of bullet performance to talk about because you, you, you can't dance around it. You know, I, there's not very many pieces of information out there specific to bullet failure. There's people that, that you know, that, that, uh, that experience it and, you know, they might post on social media, but there's not really a whole lot addressing it specifically. And, you know, we, we, we do our best to make sure it doesn't happen, but it does. It's, and it's going to with any bullet, you can't find one that doesn't, but I, reason I bring this up is I wanted to maybe talk a little bit more specifically what constitutes a bullet failure because mm -hmm. a lot of people see like a cup and core bullet where the, the the core comes out of the jacket and they'll find both of those and they'll you know they'll call in or they'll post on on social media and I've seen it not just with our company I've seen it on anybody that makes bullets or ammo I've I've seen the posts uh that you know jacket core separation this is a failure what do you have to say for yourself kind of thing and <laughs> and uh one of the please be the accountable first, yeah well one <laughs> of the first things that I think of and and maybe it's because of what I, my, my previous employment here at Hornady, my previous job being on our technical services team was, was you recovered those two pieces of projectile. Mm -hmm. you, you have a bullet jacket and a bullet core that you took a picture of. Where did you find those? And well, I found them in the animal that I killed. Uh, so just right. because a bullet may jacket core separate. We Doesn't mean it's not going to do the job. I was going to say, yeah, we've talked a lot about that that's it's not desirable by no. any means and, and it's not something that we want it to, to do but the the end goal is to kill the animal as effectively and humanely and quickly as possible if the jacket and the core separate and you you know poleaxed that animal by all means i would not consider that a failure what i would consider a failure regardless excuse me of how the bullet looks if it didn't core separate if it did if it didn't mushroom if it did or what have you regardless of what the bullet did as far as uh, mechanically if the bullet failed to produce you know uh, death causing injury and blood loss to the animal with reasonably good shot placement i would consider that a bullet failure yeah. um, that's uh, to me that that's that's getting specific and I'm not trying to, to paint bullet manufacturers, regardless of manufacturer into you know, a corner where, uh, well, we, we, you know, we have plausible deniability because of the shot placement or velocity or whatever. But I am saying that, that you have to check some boxes and, and shot placement and knowing the velocity parameters of what the bullet was designed to work in 
are really, really important. And if you can't check those two boxes that you do, you know, you did your due diligence, uh, then you can't claim necessarily a, a bullet failure. So if, if you put the bullet in the right spot and the bullet failed to produce, you know, death inspiring uh, uh, damage, Mm-hmm. that that is that is a failure regardless of what the bullet did and uh those are are a lot fewer occurrences than jacket core separations and i'm not saying that a jacket core separation hasn't happened and also was not going to kill the animal even though shot placement was good because i'm sure they have um right but let's say by and large when you start specifically talking about what you're trying to do which is you know, disrupt enough tissue and put a hole in organs. Uh, if you can't put the bullet there to do that, and it's not the bullet's fault, you know, if the bullet got there, but you just put it in the wrong spot, then even if it did jacket core separate, that's, you know, that's almost neither here nor there. Got to put the bullet in the right spot. Right. Likewise, I've seen some, some bullet performances where, I mean, absolutely drilled boiler room, moderate range plenty of velocity everything was perfect and the bullet really failed to expand and i would consider a fail to expand more of a failure than it over expanded in a lot of cases okay um, so yeah, really, is that just a freak thing or is there a science to why that might happen um there's a lot that goes into it shot angle uh gotcha. velocity what it hits when well, it first enters Yep. Yeah. Whether it hits shoulder. a rib or goes between the two ribs and hits cartilage yep. first. Yep. And and you should absolutely have plenty of velocity to expand the bullet when you come into soft when you're you're hitting soft tissue, no ribs, no shoulder. But uh, as you get extended in range and your velocity bleeds off, and that you start approaching that minimum impact velocity to expand the bullet, that expansion is going to get less and less. Um, so, again, we talked about this on the first podcast, but. You have to have a bullet that has a consistent means to expand exposed lead or a polymer tip. Boat tail hollow points or hollow point style bullets that are designed for big game hunting. We have seen these close up. Instead of expanding, they hit and they close up. They, the nose folds up hmm. and basically turns it into a full metal jacket and uh, you get no expansion. So you can poke a nice clean little hole through both lungs and it'll blow out the other side. But if that didn't transfer its energy and you just poked a clean hole, um, that animal is going to live for a long time. It's going to run for a long time. And, uh, right. Like we say, and the tenacity to live on these animals is incredible. And, uh, heck if it's an elk, he might even heal up and live. Yeah. It seems like it. <laughs> yeah. So I, like I said, I, I know it, it may sound like I'm just trying to create excuses for, bullet quote-unquote bullet failure where a bullet doesn't look like what you expect it to look like mm-hmm. but uh, i really just wanted to summarize that in that if the bullet was placed in the right spot and it failed to kill the animal then by all means that's that's probably a bullet failure but if you collect a jacket and a core and take a picture of it you you got those those two pieces of bullet somehow and it's because the animal had died right um, so just a jacket core separation in and of itself does Didn't not perform how it was designed to perform but guess what it's life and it happened and it's yeah, made by exactly. humans who are imperfect yep. <laughs> you, you know what i mean yeah 100 percent. we try to do everything to engineer out those variables and unfortunately you we can't do uh, can't do all of it. And, and sometimes, yeah, you're going to experience a failure, but there are a lot of instances where, uh, in and of itself, a jacket core separation absolutely killed the animal effectively. And, uh, it's just, the bullet doesn't look like you'd expect it to. Right. No, that's it. That's a good point. Thanks for bringing that up. So, I mean, if you find that core and jacket, you kill the animal and though it didn't do what it was engineered to do, uh, it still did the job. Yep. Luckily I, for I, me, I, I mean, I've never had that with uh, any of your bullets. Um, they've all worked, I want to say, perfectly. And I, I take a lot of animals every year, and uh, yeah, they've. And I think they've worked the really bullet, well. The, for the, me and my brother. 
the big takeaway from all that is that that bullet expands. It expands at 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 what I'm going to call modern practical distances. Um, yeah, because because again, a non-expanding bullet is more much more of a problem in a lot of cases than a over-expanding bullet. So yeah, if a bullet expands, it's just going to help in that error budget. If you're an inch back or an inch high or an inch low, if it can expand violently and displace more tissue uh, because of its rapid expansion, then uh, that's, that's, that's an effective kill for sure. Absolutely. So did we shot placement effects, weight retention? We kind of talked about that. Yeah. Yep. We did. Yeah. The, 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 if you take a shoulder blade or a rib, it's going to upset that bullet with, with more resistance than if you shot soft tissue. So you're going to have less retention. You have more of a chance of a jacket core separation. Likewise, you know, we talked about choosing maybe a 6.5 PRC over a Creedmoor or a 300 Wisdom or a 300 PRC over a 30-06. Um, anytime you increase the velocity, you are also going to increase the propensity for jacket core separation. Because again, these bullets are going to expand but there's only so much material to expand before it runs out of material. So that lead will eventually have to give up, uh, uh, give up the jacket. Gotcha. So I think, yeah, I think we hit, uh, I mean, it's, wow. It's, it's like going into a time warp. I'm doing these podcasts. Already <laughs> We're already in an hour. Yeah. So sorry. I can, I know I can ramble on and, and my, no, I mean, this is super interesting. I, I mean, I think this was, this was good for people to hear. And we talked about, um, the technology of the heat shield and how that was designed specific for DLDX. And we also talked about how velocity uh, creates energy really. Right. Um, yeah. And monolithic versus cup and core in that design, the GMX versus the ELDX. We talked about how shot placement affects weight retention, what constitutes bullet failure and what really is bullet failure. I mean, did it kill the animal? Or did it not kill the animal? I mean, this is uh you guys engineer these bullets to do what they're supposed to do. But at the end of the day, there is uh, some bullet failure for all manufacturers, if you will. Yeah. hundred percent is gears. There's no way around it. But one thing I was going to touch on too, uh, real quick was, you know, I, you'll have to run the numbers and tell me, and I could run the numbers myself, but I feel like for the 300 wisdom, 849 yards or 45 yards on that buck in Mexico. I mean, I feel like, probably 900 yards would be top end for that rifle. I feel okay. like it, like the 300 PRC would smoke it at that distance. Yeah. Yeah. And that, well, that's launching that 212, just a, a lot more of an efficiently designed bullet. So it's going to hang on to that velocity longer for sure. So what's that 212 going out the muzzle? 26 inch barrel or 24 inch barrel. With a uh, 300 PRC? Uh-huh. Um, let me check here. I want to say either 29 or 2850, something like that. Uh, and that's another thing. When you have a really efficiently designed bullet, you don't have to stand on it quite as hard to get the ballistic performance because that bullet is so efficient in flight and it's going to hang on to that velocity so, so long that you don't have to push it quite as hard. I see. Uh, because it's going to hang on to it longer. So yeah, we're launching out of the muzzle 24 inch at 2860. 2860. So every barrel is a little bit different. Uh, you could be getting close to 2,900. Oh, absolutely. Yep. You know, every barrel is a little bit different, just like every car is a little bit different. Every yeah. Human's yeah. A little with different. A, and the same thing with barrels, right? Yeah. So, and man, I've, I've been lucky enough in, in some of my barrels to have an oddly fast barrel and I have the ability to pressure test ammunition and, and stuff. And, and I've just, I've gotten a couple barrels over the last three, four years that have ran 70 foot faster than every other barrel here. And it's, it's, that's kind of a nice little bonus, but yeah, you could, you could reasonably expect 2,900 from a 26 inch, 300 PRC with that 212. Gotcha. So, yeah, I mean, I, I kind of concluded not to, not to get off another tangent here, but I kind of concluded that, you know, the 300 wisdom, that's a great caliber for like a mountain Magnum cal uh, gun rifle it is. caliber, yeah. if you will. And it'd be perfect for like backcountry grizzly hunt or backcountry elk where you're going to be shooting, you know, two to 700 yards. But for me, uh, if I wanted to stretch it eight, 9,000, or I knew I was going to be hunting some 
big canyons, steep country for black bear country, and new shots were going to be eight to 1,200 yards, I would hands down pull out the 300 PRC. Oh, yeah. You're picking up a couple hundred feet per second faster right out of the gate, and then you're shooting a bullet that's, uh, I don't have a percentage, I'm not looking at the numbers, but significantly more efficient. Uh, you're, so you're launching a much more efficient bullet a couple hundred feet per second faster, and it just tax on that air budget. You just get less wind drift. Uh, you get more velocity downrange. You get a, a further shot window. It's just all good things. A lot yeah. harder to shoot, though. That 300 PRC is a handful uh, in most hunting weight rifles, just like a 300 wind mag is. Right. Yeah, you don't want to build a super light 300 PRC or you're going to get smacked in the face. Yeah. Yeah, especially when, like, you, you're shot here in Mexico where you're all contorted and, and twisted up. Yeah, you take an 8-pound 300 PRC and, and get in an awkward shooting position, you're liable to, to eat that scope in the forehead. <laughs> hey, it's happened to the best of us, hasn't it? It, it has. I've worn that scar with pride for a while. <laughs> That's awesome, man. Was there anything else you wanted to touch on in regards to part two, impact velocity, shot placement, and bullet failure before we wrap this up? No, I think we, we, we pretty well nailed it. I know it, a lot of it was a little bit redundant from the, the previous episode, but I think we went into the weeds a little bit more on, on some things that we only hit the wave tops on the first time. And then, uh, yeah, I think we can, we can continue on uh, with the next one and, and chase that rabbit down the hole even further. All right. Well, I'm looking forward to part three. We got Seth, the whiz kid here, the, the ballistics engineer from Hornady. Uh, thanks for joining us, man. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. And guys, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast, and we'll catch you on the next episode, part three, what kills an animal and kind of the closing summary.